0: If you create a spectrum, right, and on the far left is, um, you know, uh, everybody was super happy and I decided, you know, this is going great, but I want to do something new and, you know, handshakes and hugs all around and, um, you know, and and leaving the company. And on the far right is uh, security escorted me out of the building. I'm like, (laughs) you know, in the... Not in the rightmost quadrant, but, uh, but, but probably towards the right side. More the on the right side? side. More <laughs> on the right side than the left side.
1: <laughs> Ground Up, episode 14. Wow, Rand Fishkin. When we first booked him for Ground Up, I admittedly struggled on how to angle the recording. Do we talk about SEO? After all, he's probably the single greatest resource on the topic on the planet. Do we talk about Moz, formerly SEO Moz? I mean, he launched Moz in 2004 as a blog. Think about that. This is before Facebook opened up to everyone. This is before Twitter, no iPhones. To build and sustain a tech product over that period of time in this day and age is remarkable. So I was torn. So I did what any rational human being would do, and I did both. What followed was the most honest conversation we've had on Ground Up to Date. Rand shared everything from why he's leaving Moz to personal things like his bout with depression that led him to stepping down as CEO in 2014. And of course, we talk a lot about SEO. So settle in. This one is a little bit longer, but it's worth every minute. You probably have the coolest job title in tech, right? The Wizard of Moz. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, that's a, that's a tough one for anybody who follows on this podcast one way or another to follow, right? That's, that, that's a great job title. Um, but last, yeah, I don't know how,
0: how I'm going to come up with the next, the next one. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's going to be a true challenge.
1: Yeah. L- let's get into that. Uh, so last summer, I think it was July, the CEO at Ma, Sarah bird who succeeded you, uh, she, she posted about your transition away from day-to-day operations into an advisory role in early 2018. So it's serendipitous that you and I are talking and it's January 10th, 2018. So I guess, yeah, is there anything that you can share regarding like what is that, what is your focus, what does your next step look like, and uh, I guess uh, why the uh, why the move now?
0: Sure, yeah. So the my last day is February 28th. So we're we're having this conversation about forty uh, five ish days before um, before I'm, my tenure at Moz after gosh seventeen years is coming to a close, um, and as far as why the change now, uh, you know I think uh, Sarah and I have had a lot of um, challenges and conflict uh, about the company and you know, basic story was, um, she's the CEO. And so, uh, I'm going to be departing and, uh, and I'm very sad about that. And it's, you know, definitely, um, frustrating and no fun and, you know, feels like, a um, a big loss. I mean, I, w- I really do wish, you know, I wish that, that I could have seen Moz through to its, you know, to a conclusion, um, of, of some kind, you know, an exit or, or an IPO, a sale, whatever. Um, so I'm disappointed about that. Uh, I will be staying on the board of directors. I'm actually the, the chairman of the board of directors. Um, and my wife and I collectively own about 23% of the company. Um, so I'll still be, you know, I'll, I'll have occasional sort of quarterly updates about what's going on. But, um, yeah, my next, uh, my next step is build a new software company. I think I, um, uh, don't have the finances to really take a break. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of jumping right back into it. So I've, I've actually been having conversations with folks about, uh, building something new and, um, probably going to raise some money via an angel round, uh, literally, you know, in March, uh, right after my, my departure. So yeah, going, going back into the super early stages.
1: Nice. So it sounds like this wasn't an easy decision and, and maybe not even one that you were, uh, uh, maybe on board with at least uh, the, the, that's the, that's the feel <laughs> I'm getting.
0: I, let's say, um, how about, you know, if the, uh, if you create a spectrum, right. And on the far left is, um, you know, uh, everybody was, super happy. And I decided, you know, this is going great, but I want to do something new and, you know, handshakes and hugs all around and, um, you know, and and leaving the company. And on the far right is uh, security escorted me out of the building. I'm like, (laughs) you know, in the not in the right most quadrant, but uh, but but probably towards the right side. More the on left. the right side. <laughs> More on the right side than the left side. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, that that's a diplomatic place to leave it. Yeah, and yeah, seven. That's that's crazy, especially in this space. And um and obviously Moz has has evolved. You know, from seomoz.org and. And the the early days of Moz, what um what can you share in regards to like where Moz is at today in terms of like growth? So anything you can share around uh, sure. number of customers you have, annual revenue, like what what does Moz look like today?
0: Yeah, I think I think Moz is right around thirty five thousand ish paying customers uh, for the two products, Pro and Local, and uh, and if. Uh, a handful of customers who use our APIs as well. Uh we I think I just got the uh the board, you know, financials um budget update. And I think the revenue number was forty-seven, forty-seven point something million for twenty seventeen. Um and Sarah will be putting that in a blog post soon. She always uh she always publishes our our uh annual numbers. Uh and that was you know, growth of just about 11% over the prior year, uh, over 2016. So Moz is a, you know, um, it is a nicely growing private software company or a disappointing venture investment. (laughs) Um, and it's sort of, you know, it's frustrating to me that those two are so disconnected, right. That, that essentially in the, in the venture backed world, you know, growth of 10, 15% is, um, is not particularly positive. And of course, you know, if you and I, John owned a company and it were doing $47 million in revenue and growing 11%, we'd be high fiving all the time. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And Moz is profitable. It kicked off a few million dollars in profit last year. So, you know, grew the bank account, paid off some debt. um, And, uh, and that's certainly a nice thing to see. You know, I, um, you'll remember for many years I was growing that ridiculous mustache Until we got, until Moz got profitable again. And um, I think that was probably, that was probably, uh, you know, a a fairly insubordinate move, right? Because of course the uh, leadership at Moz felt that profitability wasn't, you know, what we should be investing in. And um, so having this, this founder show up every day with sort of a, visual example on his face of, <laughs> yeah. <you know, laughs> well, that's uh, like, I think what encouraging I've always, profitability, and a lot
1: of people have found refreshing about you is like you just referenced that push and pull between vc back mentality and you and I running a company and sure, yeah. seeing, you know, 11% growth and then, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars, that push and pull. And you've blogged about that in the past. I think, uh, I think it was even after, maybe you had, Moz had raised a round of funding, I want to say, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going off of memory here. 13 ish, twelve, 2012, 2013, 2012,
0: yeah. 2012, you, we, uh, I raised 18 million dollars from uh, Foundry, and our, our um, existing investors contributed to that as well. Ignition, but um, you blogged, yeah, about, and that was big,
1: didn't you? If I remember correctly, and I could be wrong because this is what five years ago. I remember you blogging about the, basically, you know, talking about the push and pull between yeah. uh, having investment and and everything that that brings in, in pressures and things like that. You've never been afraid to talk about, and not just talk about them, but like broadcast those things to a wider audience, I guess. Why? I mean, that that's level sort of, of the, transparency.
0: Yeah, that's sort of the same thing I did with with SEO in the same way I feel, right? So anything I learned about search engines, anything I learned about you know how SEO works and what does and doesn't work. I, I want to broadcast it. I don't want that to be secret. I don't want other people to fall into the same traps and problems, or, you know, to not be able to do the things that that I or we've been able to do. Uh, and that holds true for building a company as well, right? There's lots of people who dream about building a company or building being an entrepreneur, or there's plenty of entrepreneurs who are you know, uh, bootstrapped, who've done it themselves and who wonder about, you know, what about this? What about this venture path? Um, And I think, you know, someone I can't remember who, but someone on on Twitter this morning put it really, really well, which is, you know, venture capital is rocket fuel. And if you're building a car or a house or or even a jet plane, but one that doesn't plan to go into uh, orbit, rocket fuel is dangerous. It's bad for you. Right, and and your your investors are going to be pretty pretty disappointed, even if you build the world's best house, the world's best car, the world's best jet plane. Um, you know, they're they're counting on that that rocket that's going to take them to space, and um, so you you have to be prepared for what you're signing up for uh, in that respect. And I think that you know I think a lot of startup culture, especially Silicon Valley startup culture creates this impression among entrepreneurs, certainly I held it, right, that you're not a real entrepreneur. You're not a real startup person unless you're venture backed, right? That that's the litmus test for, you know, being And then of course, once you're that, well, now the litmus test becomes, are you a unicorn? And then are you a unicorn that exited? And then are you a, you know, so yeah, it's sort of late stage, cap, late stage capitalist mentality, right? Where there's nothing's good enough unless you're, you know, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, um,
1: right?
0: Uh, and even Bill Gates, people are like, well, how good is Microsoft really? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. so it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty weird, messed up, um, cultural signifier. And I think it's venture capital can be a wonderful thing for people who are trying to do outrageously risky, um, incredibly capital intensive, um, you know potential moonshots. Uh, in that case I think venture is absolutely the right decision. But you know as an asset class I think everyone even the the most of the VCs and LPs agree that it is uh overinvested, right? That there's there's far too many uh dollars in venture capital for the number of you know sort of successful companies that will return get the rate of return that folks are seeking. Um, and as a result, you know, you have this sort of competitive market and you have the marketing of venture investors and of, of startup folks who've been invested in to propagate and disseminate this sort of myth that venture is the the right and only way. Um, so right. as you might imagine, my next company, I'm kind of hoping not to uh, raise <laughs> venture. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, and, and that stigma and sort of like mentality reminds me of an exchange I saw from Jason Fried, you know, founder of Basecamp, yeah. uh, on Twitter recently, where he was he was talking about this notion of being venture backed and then everything that brings with it, and what the point that him and DHH were making on Twitter was, it kind of feeds this work around the clock, don't have a personal life yeah. mentality. And you know, he was he was getting a lot of positive responses. He was getting a few contentious ones, and one in particular was from somebody from uh, from a private equity firm. And they were kind of volleying back and forth, Jason and him were volleying back and forth and uh, what this what this gentleman from the private equity firm ended up saying to him was, "Well jason, as you know i don 't find companies making between thirty and forty million very interesting, essentially yeah. telling him that well, you know your experience with Basecamp, is it, that's cute, but you know i 'm talking about <laughs> i 'm talking about the major league guys, and it was so pretentious <laughs> and I was like this this is exhibit a he he is fully exhibiting on display on Twitter in front of Tens of thousands or more people. The point that he's making, and this guy just wasn't getting it.
0: Um, yep, that's uh, it's beautiful when you have a, you know, when you think to yourself, "Gosh, I couldn't have hired a pansy, uh, a patsy, uh, better than than this actual person who is <laughs> yeah, having yeah. this exchange with me." Yep, I've, um, had f- I've, I've had a few of those as well.
1: So I want to get into you know, you know, the, 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 beginnings of Moz, but before, you know, before we get into that, uh, anything you could share on what this next, you, you've talked about starting a new company and, and it, even starting as soon as, you know, raising funding and, and stuff in, in, in Q1 and Q2. What, um, I guess, uh, what can you share in regards to that?
0: Well, um, not much, but I can tell you that, uh, I wanted to lob myself a softball. And so I am probably going to be building uh software for web marketers. Just because that's you know that's an audience I, I know really well. It's a practice that I've been in my, you know my entire professional life, and um, and I think there's many many unsolved problems in that space. So so something there, but uh, still TBD on that front.
1: Excited to hear more. We'll have to have you on again uh, late next year to, to talk about yeah, progress yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, going back to Moz or seomoz.org, um, w- This launched what two thousand four.
0: Yeah, so I dropped out of college in 2001 and started working with my mom Jillian, who's who's the co-founder of Moz. Uh and, you know, she and I basically struggled for a few years trying to make a web design business take off. Um at the end of 2003, I started this blog that became seomoz.org. Uh and then in I think it was 2000, maybe the end of 2005, we basically shut down the old uh web design and consulting business. And open shop as SEO Moz uh, as a consulting company, and that that actually went um, reasonably well for a couple of years, and we were able to pay off a lot of the debt that we'd accumulated previous to that. And then in 2007, uh, switched to software, kind of an unintentional move. In fact, a totally unintentional move. We just built some tools for ourselves. I wanted to make them available, you know, to show to all my friends in the SEO world. Matt, our developer, was like, "Our servers can't handle the bandwidth." I was like, "Okay, let's charge <laughs> some money for it," and uh, and uh, and he was like, "Okay, I'll put a little PayPal. You know, you have to send us thirty nine bucks uh, before you can get access." And then that took off, just crazy. Um, even though the tools were not great, we we were reaching the right audience. There wasn't a lot of tools out there. We had chosen a market, you know, pr- mostly by accident, chosen a market that. Uh, was huge and growing. And um, it ended up being a, a terrific business. And so by the end of that year, we, we essentially foc- uh, focused entirely on uh, the tools side of the business and raised a round of venture capital uh, in November of 2007. So that's that's sort of the start of SEOmoz, the software business.
1: Wow. And this is, I mean, yeah, back then. The, the, so what did, I guess, what did the initial tools look like? Like, what were those first tools?
0: (laughs) Oh, sure. Gosh. Um, (laughs) It's a great question. I think one of the initial ones was a tool called Page Strength, um, which was reasonably popular. And that was like, it it scraped a bunch of other sources. So it was, you know, it like collect, you, you could plug in a URL or a bunch of URLs, and it would give you back, you know, the Alexa ranking. I think a score from... One of the other uh, browser plugins. I'm trying to remember what that was. Oh, maybe it was StumbleUpon. Um, and you know, some of the other early social network sharing wow. data. Uh, it would scrape Google PageRank. It would scrape uh, link data from Google, right, with the old link command before they deprecated that. <laughs> um, it would scrape Yahoo. Uh, this was this was Yahoo link data before Yahoo Site Explorer came out, right? So just you know, all this like old school crap, but essentially an aggregator of a bunch of scores and data that SEOs would go and get manually prior to this tool existing. Um there was another one that would track your rankings, right? So it was just kind of like uh check rankings and then you could you could check it manually and it would just record the scores. So, you know, it wasn't like it did it automatically every week. You had to do it when you wanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was I was pretty silly, but you know this is, this is these are the days when you know SEO tools were so nascent that that people were like, yeah, this is great, thirty nine bucks a month, and hey, you'll store all my rankings for me. Great, fantastic. I was checking them manually and putting it into Excel. <laughs>
1: this this is like a, a history lesson in web tech too. Going 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 down this memory lane with you. Um I'm sure. And yeah, this is uh, even before that when you when you started the blog 2004, 2005 and then later into the software 06, 07. This is this is such early days, right? I mean, if you go back to when you started the blog, what was Facebook like a year old? I mean, they probably weren't even yeah. they weren't I mean, even available you, yet outside of right, college could, networks.
0: You, yep. Twitter exactly. non-existent. Um Yep, Twitter started I think the next year. 07, 08. yeah. yeah. And
1: yeah. so it's <sighs> crazy. Uh, could you could you foresee the scope of all this back then? I mean, I know Google was, st- you know, was, was Google back then, Yeah, they, right?
0: were, they were big, but they weren't the only search engine. So, that you know, that was one of the other things that in the early days everybody needed to do is check your rankings on Yahoo, check your rankings on Ask Jeeves, <laughs> check your rankings Ask on, Jeeves. you know, MSN Search, <laughs> right? All these, um, you know, those, it was basically a four-player game. Uh, even in 07 a little bit maybe it was dwindling to 3 and it wasn't really until you know 2010 that that google just completely dominated the us market with you know 90% plus market share how
1: how did having like the consulting business how did that help or not create a foundation for what became of the product i mean did they yeah. did your clients sort of act as your first customers and 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 the learnings that uh, you so got clients
0: from their- yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's sort of counterintuitive, um, and I wrote about this in in you know in the book that's coming out, Lost and Founder, but but the uh, you know the, the basic principle underlying it that we we never realized was clients are an awesome way to figure out what professional SEOs need, right? That the consultants and the in-house SEOs, but they are a terrible uh, indication of who your customer is going to be. Because in fact, consulting clients need consultants, not software, right? So our consulting clients did not turn into our customers. The people who turned into our customers for the tools were our blog readers, right? People who essentially were doing the same work that we were, not people who were needing the work done. Um, And I think that many, many, you know, would be you know, software builders who are currently consultants think that that's who they're going to get to buy their software. But I would urge them not to think that way, right? This is a great way to learn what is the work that needs to be done and what can we automate and help people with, but not who's that that right customer. Who's
1: the user, right? Yeah. So what is it like transitioning from having service-based clients to then kind of leaning in full-time, to a SaaS product? Like, what did that transition look like?
0: Uh, I mean, it was a constant sort of learning experience, you know, and, and mental model change. Uh, but one that actually worked really well with, uh, at least my personal meanings and, and strengths, right? Like the things that I'm good at are, um, you know, learning something new and then sharing and explaining it, and you know creating content for the web and amplifying that content um, and and reaching an audience with it. Uh, you know, sort of sort of classic organic web marketing stuff, you know SEO and social and content marketing, email, that kind of stuff. Um, the The reason that turned out to be a good fit, was because we went with a model that was very unpopular at the time, but now has gotten some traction at least. uh, And that's self-service SaaS. So essentially, you know, being able to um, offer your product directly to customers and have them sign up, you know, right online with via a credit card or free trial or whatever. uh, That's that was extremely unusual. It's still, pretty unusual in in the SaaS world. You know, most folks are still sales team, onboarding, you know, uh, direct sales, that kind of thing, uh, to get large software customers. But because we were self service and because we were so cheap, especially in the early days, right, thirty nine bucks a month. You know, you you just need to attract uh, some of the right people to your website, and some of them will convert.
1: Right, and you had the blog sort of acting as a had, yeah. As we a had lever. the
0: blog. We right. We'd been building it for four years at that point, so it, it it sort of we built a product to serve the audience that we were already receiving, um, and then we kept getting better at audience development and slowly getting better at building good tools for them too.
1: This might be a really tough question, but do you remember what your blog was generating in terms of visits way back then?
0: So let's see. I remember 2004 and 2005 where if I got hundred visits in a day, I felt real good. Um, if I, I think that was up to between 1,000 and 2000 by 0607, with occasionally, you know, a post that would do four or 5,000 visits. Um, what's the, and of course today, today <laughs> oof. So let's see a good whiteboard Friday. will do 50 to 75,000 visits in its first month. Wow. Um, amazing. Some of them, you know, some of the, yeah, some of the blog posts, not, not much more than five or 10,000, uh, probably on the low end, but it depends on over time too, right? Cause many things you put them out, they don't do all that great day of, but then, you know, over the next few weeks and months, they start ranking for things. People find them, they amplify them. And so, you know, within a year that turns into serious traffic.
1: That's, it's good to know what, what Moz does organically, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, so I'm, organically, Moz is I think in total three, maybe three point one, three point two million visits a month, right around there.
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's a solid number. And so, did this? How did you generate that early user base? So, first one hundred customers, was it primarily uh, as a result of the blog?
0: I mean, this was one of those people tell you not to think of the mentality of build it and they will come, but if you build it and they're already there, which is essentially what happened in our case, right? The blog already had right customers for the product, right? The people who were doing the same work we were, who were learning about SEO and sharing what they were doing and, you know, arguing about tactics and, um, uh, you know, reveal, you know, revealing tests they'd run against Google whatever. Uh, those people were right customers for our products, right? We built that stuff for ourselves, and we built it, and then and then we started building it for them. And so the fact that we already had the audience mean meant that yeah, we did not have to get particularly good at marketing to get our first hundred customers. I think even our first two thousand customers, we really didn't have to get very good at it. Um, certainly from a conversion and funnel perspective, um, you know, and even today I would say that. You know, Moz is very good at top of funnel, right? Bringing people to the website, um, and and helping people learn and understand and advance their SEO skills, but not fantastic at moving people through that funnel um, and showing off the capabilities of our software. Um, at least not in, you know, not in a very uh, efficient way. There's there's people I know in the SaaS world who are probably doing you know a similar amount of revenue with 1/100th one one of Moz's traffic.
1: Why do you think that is? Why why is that such a challenge? I mean it's not unique to Moz, right? Like web web yeah. conversions is, you know, CRO and gr- that's that's a whole industry, but why is that such a challenge?
0: Well, so I think uh, two things are definitely true. One, um, because Moz has always been blessed with a huge Amount of traffic, and because we've always been blessed with a large amount of people taking, you know, a free trial every month, uh, the focus has, I think, correctly for the especially the last five years, been on uh, quality of product and retention, not quality of moving people through the funnel. Um, and I, I think that's the right the right move. The second thing I would say is that um, Moz is very unlike most software as a service businesses, where our mission is not convert the most people we can, you know, maybe this is changing or will change after I leave. But, um, historically it was not, you know, convert the most people to a paid software subscription. It was help people do better marketing and help people do better marketing often means help them understand, help them learn, help them do things that they don't need our SEO tools to do. Help them realize that, you know, um, for example, uh, this particular other tool might be better for their purpose than subscribing to Moz, right? If what you need is to do a one-time, very customized uh, site crawl to identify particular kinds of issues on a subfolder of a domain, you know what? Moz's tool is not the right one. You want Screaming Frog, right? That's what you should run. Um, and you and we'll, we'll, we have a bunch of articles that will help you, you know, figure that out, right? Um, you'll see us promote competitors' products. You'll see us promote ways to not have to, you know, use tools and software to do things. That's pretty unusual for a software company, right? We do a lot of things that are not in our self-interest because our mission is help people do the marketing. Um,
1: right. And that, and the that, community yeah. that you guys have built, you know, aside from the blog, but, but but the community where you referenced before, where people can come and argue about different tactics yeah, yeah. and their effectiveness and things like that. Um, I think that that is... That's a that's a really that's a really brilliant move too because you know I've worked for a company called Litmus in the past and they had a really strong community as well and yeah. I think what what what's so great about it right is especially once it picks up steam and you know you're generating a lot of conversations through there is they're creating the content for you these people aren't mm-hmm. on your payroll right so I, you know you wouldn't have the resources to create the amount of content that your community is creating on their own right and then that ranks and then that attracts more people and it it kind of just you know sort of piles on each other uh so uh, uh, community obviously being one of those big assets that Moz has had a blog being another um are were, have those been the cre- the key drivers of growth you would say over the years for Moz and has that changed at all or have, have those primarily been um really uh, the two I big think- levers
0: no, I would say it expanded considerably outside of those right um, well, depending on how you define it right so what I would say is uh content and community have been the big drivers uh but the, but you know i wouldn't I wouldn't narrow it down to uh just the blog or sort of um just the you know the q and a discussion forum for example uh, I would say that social became a big strength for moz right the you know, the company itself has hundreds of thousands of followers across multiple networks, um, and I have hundreds of thousands personally. Uh, you know, vi- video was a huge investment that we've made over the years. We have like a whole video studio developed, you know, dedicated to to like Whiteboard Friday, for example, and that's been a big driver. Um, conferences and events, which I, you know, might be a form of overlapped content and community, that's been. A big positive driver for us, um, you know, and certainly, you know, being able to go around the world and keynote a bunch of events and, you know, have, um, have the sort of brand equity and returns that come with that is great. Uh, and then you know, Moz got reasonably good, um, especially in kind of that 2011, 2012 era uh, at paid advertising. And essentially leveraging all the value of hey we have these tons of people coming to our website, uh, let's see if we can reach them again through you know retargeting and remarketing, um, and that you know I think that those practices bore a lot of fruit. Uh, big credit to Joanna Lord who was a Moz employee who kind of started our whole paid program and uh, and turned that into something really exciting. She's at ClassPass in New York now. So yeah, lots of Lots of drivers uh, for growth. I think the one that's the one that's been a little frustrating, especially in the last few years, has been on the product side, where I think a lot of the best features and attributes are really hidden inside the product, and so you have to, you know, you have to pay for it or start the free trial and get a campaign going to really see what's inside it. I don't think Moz does a great job of like showing you the value of the, you know, the tools and software and data. Um, Initially, you know, or for free, or without any commitment, and uh, and that was something we did in the early days, but but have since kind of fallen down on. So maybe maybe that'll be something that the company reinvests in in the future.
1: And uh, I want to talk to the interesting period where Facebook became more expansive, right, more inclusive oh, outside sure. of the college network. Twitter, you know, sort of came into its own, you know, founded in or launched in 07, and then 08, 09, you know, started picking up steam. You know, as mm-hmm. social became what it became, when when any new vehicle or channel, you're seeing it now with artificial intelligence. Although that's not a channel, that's a platform all on its own, um, that that could lay on top of everything. But when when new channels come out like that, and and new vehicles for marketers, it often you know spurs a lot of that the end of X type of content, right? Like the end yeah. of email, the end of this. Like people are going to <laughs> do their searches and social. Was I there... forgot
0: about
1: how is dead. <laughs> yeah, email's been dead for a long time, um, oh. except it's not. But uh, yeah. so was there a was there ever a period when all when when social was hitting and it was hot and it was picking up steam, where um, you ever thought that search or or would would, would if, uh, obviously it's evolved, but would evolve in the sense that. People and you still hear to this day, more people are doing product searches inside of Facebook, inside of, you know, Amazon different apps. Uh was that ever I think a threat is too strong of a word, but uh I guess what kind of evolution did organic go through during those periods and and like what was it like uh to be at Moz during
0: that period? Yeah, interesting. Um No, I would say you're you're right. It was never a threat. It was never even It never even rose to the level of concern. I think the only, the only thing I would say about that is we worried about whether we could effectively get, um, you know, a next investment round because the conversation in the sort of tech press was so, you know, it likes to be very, um, dramatic. And, uh, unfortunately, even though, tech writers especially should know better, not very data driven, right? So uh I've got some data from a click clickstream provider, Jump Shot, who has, you know, enough millions of uh browsers collecting data for them in the US that they have you know more than enough to be um you know statistically significant to you know within a percent or two uh on on any of these metrics, right? And I think Amazon is responsible for like 0.5% of all searches performed on the web. Facebook is like 0.6 or 7%, but wow, almost all low. of those are, wow. almost all of those are names. And Google is like 75%, right? So it's just, we're just not talking about anything comparable. And and Google, Google has, um, you know, gone from uh, you know, a few billion searches a month to tens of billions of searches a month in the U S it's just, yeah, it's not really a conversation. Um, it's just, there are people who feel like it's a thing like, Oh, I, you know, I, I did a search on Amazon for this instead of going to Google. Oh, good for you. I bet you still did 50 searches on Google for every (laughs) one Amazon search you did. Oh, I probably did, you know, but you know, so you get, you get a little bit of that, Or, um, you know, the people who are like, oh man, I was, you know, I was riding a bus and I didn't see anybody on Google. I saw everybody on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what were they doing on Facebook? Right. Like they're looking at photos and the posts of their friends and don't get me wrong. Facebook's built a nice advertising engine, but you know, even, even with all their, you know, incredible, uh, growth, Facebook still has what about. Not quite two thirds the advertising revenue that AdWords has, um, so I mm, just no, <laughs> I, I don't uh, I don't quite see it right. I, I don't think the rise of one thing has meant the death of another. I, I will tell you one that everyone was sure would happen, which is that mobile would kill desktop. And yep. mobile has had unprecedented, incredible growth. It's finally plateaued the last couple of years, right? It's not growing as fast because we already all have mobile phones that we all spend our, all our time on. Uh, and yet, the craziest part is desktop never died. So de- time spent on desktop machines and uh, you know the number of searches on desktop, the number of browser visits uh, to websites on desktop, it flattened. It, it has not grown much, you know, in the single-digit percents. I think the last like f- three or four years, uh, but it never dropped. It just plateaued. So, mobile didn't kill desktop; it just killed all our free time.
1: <laughs> right? The, yeah it it cannibalized something. It just was our personal life. That's uh, yeah, exactly. It's it, it, we very were, dark way, <laughs> but that's true.
0: Yeah, we, you know, what, what were we doing when we were standing in line? Yeah, we weren't on our desktop before. Now we're on our mobile, right? But the time that we spend in front of our actual physical computers to do, you know, more complex tasks, to, to write, you know, a l- lengthier email or 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 write a book or um, do our work, um, you know, at our offices or um, you know design something or create a photo book and print it out, those those things we still do in front of our desktop machines uh, or laptops, right? And hasn't hasn't really Changed. I think the only thing that changed is rate of growth,
1: right? And and that would make sense. Um, I want to talk about so in in you know later on in Maz's history. Obviously, you mentioned before, twenty twelve raised a significant round of funding. You guys continued to grow, became the industry. Still are uh, really standard. Um, You're well. (laughs) yeah.
0: <laughs> i mean i would argue, i would argue against that but okay yeah yeah. right
1: fair. right I, I guess it depends who you ask right like i obviously have a bias right if 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 you're a user of Moz or have been following the content for a long time um it, it is a crowded space but uh certainly one of the key players uh you were fixation at you know conferences all over the world um in 2014 you transitioned out of the ceo role um and like we referenced earlier sarah bird uh succeeded you what was behind that decision in in 2014 i mean you guys obviously are still growing um but right in the midst of uh you know maz's ascension as it still is um you decided to transition out of that ceo role why
0: um i think there's there's two big reasons one i feel like i had made a sort of critical strategic error um that and CEOs are allowed to make those but I didn't I didn't really know that um and I didn't feel that way uh and then the second was I um I'm not sure if this is causation or or correlation I don't know which way the causation might run if it is causal but uh, I also had a severe case of depression um in you know in 2013 and all the way into I think probably 2015 uh and I think as a, as a result of that I was I you know, a depressed Rand makes for a terrible CEO for lots of reasons, um, as you might imagine. So those, that was the, that was the primary driver, right? I had a conversation in November of 2013 with Brad Feld, uh, who was on our board of directors from foundry group and, you know, basically talked to him about how I was feeling. And he was like, well, you know, look, um, we, if, if what, if this is what you want to do and you want to make a CEO change, you know we can we can make it soon right let's let's do it and we did it in uh i think it was february of 2014 so just about four years ago now and um yeah i mean to your point right like maz i think in 2010 11 12 maybe even 13 you would have said you know Moz is the clear industry leader in seo software and and you know one of if not the leading uh resource for learning and and doing SEO uh on the web. And I think today, you know, it's probably um well, it's almost definitely uh SEM rush is the is the leader and I think uh Ahrefs is a little smaller than Moz but growing faster um and b- will probably overtake us in terms of, you know, revenue and customers this year um and then you know hopefully hopefully moz can figure stuff out and and um you know retake that industry leadership position certainly you know i have um a huge you know hope that 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 will be true um and i'm sure that you know the rest of moz's shareholders and board and employees do too but uh that yeah that that was sort of a tough you know tough call i think um one that wasn't, you know, wasn't made for business reasons. It was really personal ones.
1: And I remember you blogging about that at the time, going back to what you said earlier about being transparent about everything. I remember a pretty lengthy blog post. And Mm -hmm. for me to still remember it now, it must have been pretty powerful. Uh, (laughs) But I remember you basically bearing it all and and, and talk, you know, referencing your depression and what role that played into the change. Um, would you say that, uh, transitioning from the CEO role into the role that you've held since, did that have a positive impact on you personally, professionally? Um, uh, like how would you characterize that?
0: I think short term, it had a positive impact on the company. So I, you know, I think where Sarah did an absolutely marvelous job, um, and deserves a ton of recognition is, that, you know, that 2014 year, I think she really took a, um, a company and a product that was sort of like in crisis, right? Cause I, I had basically had this crazy idea that, um, we had raised all this money. And so now we needed to be much bigger than SEO. And so let's build a product that helps marketers with SEO and social and content and, um, and brand mentions and PR all at the same time and, uh, designed this giant product, gave it to the engineering team, waited two years. Um, and, and when the product finally launched, it was, it was a total dud, you know, it wasn't what our market wanted and it could barely even stay alive or do the functions that it was supposed to do. Um, so, you know, poor execution and poor concept behind it. Um, and I felt, you know, I felt just awful about that. And, and of course, probably doubly awful because of the depression, Um, but I think Sarah sort of turned that ship around, uh, 2014 was sort of a, a rough plateau year, but, you know, got us, got us back on trajectory and then, you know, and then growing again. Um, and yeah, deserves a ton of credit there. I, I would say for, for me though, hmm. so yes, short term, definitely right thing for the company. I think where I, you know, miscalculated was like, what, what makes me happy and what do I want to do professionally? And, you know, where do I get energy? Um, and I think being, um, removed from the ability to make decisions about this company that I had sort of, you know, built and, and felt like was mine, even though, you know, obviously once you raise venture capital, it's not really yours. Um, that, yeah, that was really hard for me and has been since, um, and probably, you know, probably was no small contributor to the the tensions that arose over the last couple of years and, and led to my dismissal.
1: Sure. When, what do you, I guess, what do you plan to do differently? I'm sure the the list is long, right? And, <laughs> yeah. The list
0: but, is so long. <laughs> John, there's no way we have time. We, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I guess
1: in starting anew, is there anything that jumps out to you that like this time I'm going to do this differently and sure that the list uh, surely yeah, is long,
0: but in starting so, uh, up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I've been working with um, an attorney on the, on the new business and I, I have a um, co-founder, um, you know, engineering uh, tech person. And uh, one of the, one of the things that we wrote into the document was I said um, to our, our attorney, this guy, Joe, who's great. I was like, Joe, I need to make sure that there's no way I can be removed from the CEO. role, <laughs> um, And he was like, yeah, we can do that. Here's how we'll structure it. know, so um, yeah, Sort of like I, uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg, right. Did this with Facebook where he basically said, it doesn't matter how much stock I don't, you know, I do or don't have in the company. It doesn't matter how, how much is owned by anyone else. I can never be removed as CEO and chairman. Um, and uh, you know, I think a structure like that is a, it's a selfish move, but I'm not you know I'm not looking to build a giant um, you know either a venture backed or a a public company I'm looking to build I want to build something small and sustainable that delights customers and employees that that's my goal for the still, next one. so um, I think changing the goal is is changing what success means um, changing the metrics for success means that you yeah, you get to you get to change a ton of things, right? A, a bunch of the, the challenges and problems and frustrations that um, that I had around around Moz, I think will be there'll be different challenges, but um, they won't be, you know, as pointed um, on that trajectory at least.
1: Will Whiteboard Just, Friday live on in some sort of
0: capacity? I'm really not sure. I, uh, Moz is currently in the process of recruiting a CMO. Uh, and I think it'll be up to that new person to decide whether they want to maintain it or not.
1: Um, well, I don't just mean for Moz, I mean, for you to have that view to, to to communicate your knowledge to the audience. Like, will you still, uh, leverage that type of platform
0: in that way? So I'm pretty sure I'm very, very hopeful actually (laughs) that Moz owns the trademark on whiteboard Friday. Um, (laughs) if they don't, I mean, they really should get it. I'll. Wednesday might be open. Whiteboard, you know, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, but I mean, um, would I continue to do video? Um, Would I continue to do you know stuff against a whiteboard? Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm good at that. And if and where it makes sense for the new business, I I probably will. Uh, It's also very. I would not be surprised at all if Moz was like, "Hey, can you come back in? You know, one day every few months and filmed you know a half dozen of these for us." Because we, you know, we really need the content and the and the traffic that they generate. I, I think I'd say yes to that.
1: Sure, it's it's gonna, it's going to be strange. If uh, uh, well, it's going to be exciting to see you with a new venture and, and what kind of content that creates. But it'll surely be strange, I'm sure, for a lot of people uh, to see you <laughs> yeah, outside of the, the Moz ecosystem for a while. You know, at least in, in content and, and and Whiteboard Friday. So that uh, that has to feel good in some way because you've amassed such a loyal. Following. Oh, yeah. And, uh,
0: yeah. No, I, I really do appreciate that. I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's great that there's, there's so much, you know, the, the, the SEO world is so rich with things to learn. Um, and that, uh, you know, that, that these sort of five to 10 minute videos, um, have proven to be such a, uh, positive way to learn it for so many people. That's yeah, that's humbling. I really, um, I really enjoy doing that.
1: So, when we, when we first scheduled this call, uh, this recording, uh, I had asked a, a few people, you know, in my audience that, hey, we're, you know, we're going to be having Rand on ground up. What are, you know, what are some things that you, you'd be dying to ask him? So I had a couple that were, that were really good um, that, that I want to pitch to you. Uh, yeah, shoot. The first one being, given what you know about how people find companies today, what's the single biggest owned asset to build in 2018?
0: Uh, I'm going to say that for most web-based businesses, it is most web-based businesses. It is your website still has been for, you know, more than a decade, I, I suspect will be for another decade. Um, I think the only long-term risk to that is net neutrality, but we'll, we can save that for another time. Uh, the, for a lot of small and local businesses, the answer is probably your email list. Um. And the reason I don't say you know, Facebook or Twitter or any of these social channels um, or I don't say you know, digital assets like um, your relationships or those kinds of things is because those, non, those non-owned assets uh, just have much more limited reach. And it's in the interest of all these other platforms to keep people on their website uh, with their user experience, not, not on yours. So, you know, you might be a huge YouTube celebrity, but if it were me, I would do what I've done with whiteboard Friday and I'd host, you know, I'd host with Wistia, right. Who's kind of invisible behind the scenes as my video provider. I put the websites on, I put the videos on my website. Uh, you know, maybe what we do with whiteboard Fridays, we take, take those videos and three months later, put them on YouTube so that people can still find and be a YouTube, but you know that you're getting it three months late. And if you want to see the new ones, you got to come to us. Um, yeah, so I'm certainly with you own channels. I think it's website or email.
1: Would Would you cringe when you saw a lot of people migrating their blogs to medium when that was like the cool thing to do?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so I think republishing your content on medium is brilliant. But why not? I mean, medium is a great way to get more traction um from an audience that you know clearly loves to read and consume that content and they they built a nice platform for it but medium has this wonderful tool that will let you you know basically every post you make on medium you can say hey medium this is not the original the original lives over here on my website and then you know medium will put the cross domain rel canonical tag so that you get all the seo benefit of that and anyone who's searching for it in the future goes to your website beautiful so medium essentially then becomes like posting your, your latest blog post, you know, on Facebook or Twitter. Um, right. You, you drive the traffic back to your site. So I, I, think,
1: I love it. I think that's what it's, what it's used best for. Yeah. I, there, there was a ton of brands that just migrated it totally because they wanted, I know. To, they wanted to, you know, piggyback off of the virality of the platform yeah. that obviously isn't inherently built into your own website or it just, people don't have the patience to build it into the platform. But uh, yeah. yeah, it seems that that's slowed significantly. I,
0: I think I think wisely, <laughs> there'll probably be another few like that, right? I'm sure someone else will come out with something and everybody will be like, Oh my God, I'm going to build my channel here. And then they'll realize, Oh, wait a minute. It's not actually in my interest. It's that's in your interest.
1: And, and what about like in terms of so this is just from me in terms of like written content. Now you have audio, you have podcasts, obviously video. um, You know, you've been, you've been hosting, you know, through Wistia on your own website, but as content itself is diversified, do you think there's any, you know, for companies with limited resources, um, you know, how should they think about spending their time in terms of audio, video, written content that, again, we talked about this before. A lot of people are saying is dying at the hands of video and audio. Uh, huh. I still love to read more yeah. than anything but sure. uh w- what is your take there on the diversification of the type of content companies can create?
0: So I think it's a really good idea to uh deeply understand your audience and to understand your own strengths right so if if it turns out that you are uh superb in front of a camera or have a magnetic voice and you know incredibly interesting things to say, but are a poor c- comparatively poor writer. Yeah, these other mediums might be great for you. Just make sure they're also good, great for your audience, right? If you find that your audience is uh, readers and they don't have the ability to listen to audio because of you know where they are or what they're doing, um, well, that that could be could be a poor decision. So I think you know looking at that Venn diagram of uh, where can I provide unique value uh, beyond what my competition's doing, what am I really good at? Uh, and where is my audience and you know what will what will attract and engage them find the you know find the overlap of those three you're in a good place
1: and the next one was another great one and I'll have to keep my voice down cuz if i say google too loudly my google home in the next room will will come on it scares <laughs> the crap out of me like it, i'll i'll be laying laying down at like 11 p.m. and a google home commercial will come on and all of a sudden, the Google Home will be like, "I'm sorry, I didn't catch that." And so many times Ugh. it scares the bejesus out of me.
0: I actually I unplugged our Alexa. We got a we got an Alexa as a gift from a, a, f- a friend who works at Amazon, and I unplugged it. I meant to plug it <laughs> back in before he came back over for dinner, but he, he came over, God, and he was like, "Where's your Alexa?" Uh, um, I'm not afraid of it. You're afraid of it. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's so true. Like I, I, my, my brother-in-law won't plug his in. He's like, I don't know people are listening. I, I, I don't want to, you know, he's like, like, you can start wearing tinfoil hats and, and, uh, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah. So thoughts on optimizing content. This was another question. What are your thoughts on optimizing content for the voice searchers intent, particularly in a B2B setting? So your Alexa's and your Google homes.
0: Hmm. Well, this is a tough one. I, what I would say is, Optimizing for voice search uh, is not particularly different than optimizing for text search. The the query might be formatted slightly differently. And so, you know, your, your, whatever, your keyword targeting or your content targeting might need to be slightly different, but really it's, I don't care. I don't, I don't think it matters much for SEO. What matters a ton is voice answers. So if you're telling me, hey, you know, people were performing my, th- this search query by uh, you know, typing it on their keyboard or on their mobile device, and now they're speaking it into their you know, desktop, their laptop, their, their mobile, eh, screen of results is a screen of results. You know what? That, that's classic SEO. We, we know how to do that. Voice answers is dangerous. Um, voice answers is dangerous because it's extremely hard to get value from that. Uh, it's almost impossible to get a click from it, um, or a visit to your website. It's nearly impossible to track. I, you know, the only thing I can say is, if you want to be the answer, uh, a voice answer, the, the the best way to do it right now is to be the featured snippet in Google. And featured snippet optimization is something we've written about and talked about a bunch on uh, on Moz, and you can you can find a bunch of good resources, some from Dr. Pete Myers, um, who's sort of an expert in that space, but. Yep, it's yeah,
1: that transition's that's kind
0: well. of yeah, that's my you know, when people ask me like what what could kill SEO? Uh voice answers could kill SEO. Doesn't look like they are yet, you know, all the data we have says it hasn't cannibalized uh classic screen of results yet, but could. Could.
1: You mentioned featured snippets. Um, you know, ranking on page 1 of Google, right, has proven to be Challenging, right? That's that's like the the holy grail of most marketers. Um, <laughs> featured snippets has created even more sort of it's the holier grail, right? The, the holiest grail. But and yeah. and also now with Google's knowledge graph, um, there, there's there's a ton of competition for the top, uh, as you would expect, the top of page one of Google. Um, you know, and, and this makes sense. Like Google's been trying to deliver more customized, relevant SERPs for a long time. Um, what impact do you see all, or is this all having on how difficult it is for brands to continue ranking? Well,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Google gets more and more competitive, uh, every day. There's more people trying to do SEO. The people who are doing it have better and better content, more and more links, more and more ranking signals. Um, so this is a practice that always gets more difficult, never more simple. Um, what I would say, though, is that, you know, for the for the best web marketers out there who are up for the challenge, the rewards have never been higher either, right? There's more searches than there ever have been, um, more clicks, uh, more uh, revenue flowing across the web, more willingness from consumers to buy online uh, and to spend online and to subscribe, uh, more value in having you know, a visitor to your website because of all the remarketing and retargeting options that you've got. Um, so yes, harder, more valuable.
1: And the last one, and we, we briefly touched on AI earlier, but, um, you know, Alphabet, which is Google's parent company has obviously invested heavily here as have most, uh, companies of that size and, and, and brands in general, even in the, you know, MarTech space, um, you know, HubSpot's investing here. A, a, a lot of brands are investing here. But Alphabet, Google's parent company has, although no real significant changes to the core algorithm as a result. But
0: Ooh, as... Really? Do we think that? So? Or is it? Uh, I, I mean,
1: hey, you, you're, you're going to be the resource here. But I, I guess w- what is your take on, I was going to say, what is your take on what the future... Of ranking for search queries could look like as the uh, yeah. as, as machine learning and AI becomes more, you know, controls everything. But it sounds like you—it's already had. Um, yeah, I impact. already
0: think it's had a huge impact. So you know, if we go back in time four years, for example, to a really pre-machine learning Google, um, is that right? Twenty fourteen. Ah, okay. Let, let's go five, just to be safe. Right, so 2013, really pre-machine learning, Google. Um, I think the head of search at that time was, I think it was Amit Singhal, and he was, you know, very anti-machine learning because you couldn't, uh, it was black box, right, and you couldn't see what what caused a particular ranking or not, and so you couldn't um, reverse engineer that and, and fix it if it was broken. And essentially, the you know the, the sort of machine learning enthusiasts won out at Google, um, and now you know ML is essentially Um, how they do rankings. And so this means, I think, a a few big things for for SEOs and for marketers. Um, Oh, and unfortunately, I have to run right after we finish this. But um, a few big things for SEOs and marketers, one being uh, there is no single fixed algorithm that operates for every keyword in every geography with every type of search result, right? The weightings of you know, links are more important here. Keywords are more important here. Uh, related text is more important here. Uh, usage, user and usage and engagement data is more important here. That stuff is all driven by, um, you know, the the machine learning system. So different weighting for different algorithmic elements in different queries, and that means that you can't just, you know, well. I was good at ranking this thing. I bet I'll be good at ranking this other thing. Unless they're very related, have very similar search patterns and searchers, it's going to be a different game. Um, Second thing it means is that Google is incredibly good at intent, understanding intent, which means that you can't just cram tons of ranking signals onto a page that you want to rank, but that doesn't actually serve searchers well. Um, So, you know, years ago, five years ago, say you and I started up I don't know. This is ridiculous, but we'll we'll start up a a uh, flour company, right? We make we make baking flour, right? And We're gonna outrank you know King Arthur and 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 all the other ones, right? Um, uh, I can't remember other brands. There's a gold brand, right? Gold medal flour and everything else, and uh, so. What we have is a page that uh, sells you flour. It doesn't give you any information about what flour is or how to use it or what it's made from or, you know, the intolerances and allergies, which a lot of people are searching for all that information. But it sells our flour. And so, you know what? We're going to point tons of links at it from tons of different domains and we're going to overwhelm all the other ranking signals and rank number one. Yeah, guess what? That is not so much a, a thing that you can do in machine learning Google world anymore right there's still some edge cases where you can overwhelm ranking signals because the you know the machine learning system has picked up these signals and you've you've managed to to push on them in the right ways but usually you have to serve the searcher right the searcher intent if google sees that something has a high pogo sticking rate right people click on it and they click the back button guess what they're gonna relearn try and get different results to rank well so I think I think ML has actually changed a ton of kind of how we think about SEO, how we think about ranking signals, how we think about how Google performs their task. Um, it's just different than the old like this ranking factor is the most powerful. This one's the second most powerful. This one's third world.
1: Rand, I know you got to run. Thank you so much for all your insights and most importantly, for being so honest and open. this was this was great. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure, man. Uh, look forward to hopefully joining you again, You know, maybe after the book's out and the new company's out.
1: Yeah. When, when does the book come out? We'd love to have you on again.
0: Uh, book's out end of April, I believe. And uh, new company, well, we'll find out. <laughs>
1: yeah, nice. Maybe summer or fall, we'll, we'll have to have an update. But Rand, thank you so much. This was great.
0: Awesome, man. Good to connect with you. Take care.